Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. When I was younger, my favorite thing to do in our neighborhood was to play at our neighbor's sandbox. They had a sandbox that looked kind of like the one that's going to pop up on the screen. It was brown. It looked like fake brick. It's plastic, really. But that was the gathering spot for all of us neighbor kids. My sister and I, we hung out at the sandbox all summer. And it always had a lid on it, so the sand was always nice and cool when we got there in the morning. Um, We would dig out the pails, the shovels, and we would spend the rest of the morning, sometimes into the afternoon, playing in the sandbox. Now, we all had our different style of doing things. I really liked to build like a little miniature sand city of some kind. My sister would be kind of interested in building a mountain with a cave for some magical dragon to live in. Or, and then my friend would sometimes build like a monster truck racetrack. And anyway, the sandbox was the creativity, uh, the dump essentially for our mind. We could put anything we wanted in there. Didn't really matter what. And there was enough space for all of us. But sometimes I was like, man, what if, you know, what if I had the whole sandbox to myself? Think of how cool my sand city would be. Like all the uniform buildings, I would use a shovel to pave out some roads or something like that. And like, man, sometimes I just want my own space. I don't like all these other people getting in my way or I think I know how the right way to use the sandbox is. You see, sometimes I would think that, but then when our friend's parents would come by, our parents, they'd look at all our sandbox things and they would say a very parent thing of like, Uh, every one of them is really special. Look at how cool you all are so creative. And those are all good and true. We all had different minds for that. But you see, sometimes I didn't want to compromise. Sometimes I would tell my sister or my friend, like, no, can I have your space in the sandbox? I want to keep building my thing, do my thing. I didn't really want any differences. And I also thought maybe my way was the right way. But you see, we find out that Sometimes in life, we don't always get the call on what is the right thing. Sometimes there are a lot of different options of what we can do with the space that we have, the freedom that we have. And our journey in the book of Romans has taken us to one of those places where Paul is realizing that there's a problem in the sandbox, the sandbox of the church, and that there are a lot of different ways that we get to be as Christians because we are free in Christ. We have a lot of different backgrounds. We have a lot of different life experiences that has Uh, given us different ways of doing life. And sometimes, though, those differences create conflict. And that is where the trouble arises. And so Paul has to address it. And so if you want to open up to Romans 14, we're going to be hanging out there this morning, where Paul talks about uh, the differences that are creating issues between the Gentiles, the Jews, and the Roman church. It's going to be between, you know, things that maybe as silly as food, all the way to what Sabbath day is best. All these things as Christians, we have coming in with different experiences, and they've got to be worked out. And so as we take a look at Romans 14, we're going to be looking at how we do life together, how we use our freedom in Christ together, how we bond in unity together, and it's important. But ultimately, Romans 14, even though it's about our life together, it all comes down to the good news, which is what we've been talking about for weeks, in that the good news is the best news we could ever have. The good news is what helps us live our life together well, 
It gives us hope when a lot of bad things are happening around us, whether that be in our country, in our families, in our own lives. This good news gives us hope amidst all of it. So as you turn to Romans 14, whether you're on your app or a Bible, or you can download the Connect Church app, you can take some notes there and follow along. Um, that'll be super helpful. Maybe you can pull it up in your community group later this week, the notes that you take. So I'd love you, uh, for you to be part of that too. And before we dive in, let's pray uh, to just welcome God into um, this text that we're about to study together and to help us understand how to live well. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for Romans and the journey that has been. Um, I also just thank you too for the freedom that we get to celebrate um, just in our own home country here, Lord, but also the freedom that we get to celebrate in Christ as we read about that. Um, and it's because of your son uh, that we get to even figure out how to do this, that we get to enjoy um, the freedom to express who we are in Christ, to make disciples, um, but we also want to do that as one. And so uh, give us understanding and wisdom, and uh, let my words be yours, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so chapter 14, Paul takes a moment to address a very specific issue. And again, you might hear this when we read it and go, what? Why are they upset about this? But really, it was a huge deal. It was divisive. It was causing a lot of frustration. It was centered around food. Again, food, we think, okay, we all eat the same things pretty much. But for them, the Jews and the Gentiles, they eat very different things. They came from different cultures. Different For the Jews, one thing was right. For the Gentiles, everything was right. But the thing is, they had to do life together. They were in church. So Paul had to talk that out. And so he picks up here, Romans 14, verse 1. It says, Except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat anything, uh, everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will uh, stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day... Um, one day more sacred than the other, and another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of our, both the dead and the living. All right, Paul is clearing the air here. So for the Jews, they had a very um, strict set of food laws. Um, they held to those culturally. That was part of their history. And so there are a lot of things that they couldn't eat. Um, some of the things that come to our mind are like pork or maybe the shellfish examples. Um, but there are others too. But for the Gentiles, maybe a uh, Roman who has become a Christian, um, anyone that isn't of Jewish descent, that would be considered the Gentiles. They could eat pretty much anything. And that was just because culturally, that was fine. But you see, if you bring a church together of both Jews and Gentiles, Jewish people seeing their Gentile friends and family eating pork or something like that, that's an issue for them. They're like, wait, that's not clean. That's that's, you know, putting a barrier between you and God. That's not okay. But then the Gentiles are like, what? I've always eaten pork. Like, that's fine. Like, what's the problem? And so that was going on, and that was causing an issue. And so Paul is trying to clear the air. 
even maybe choosing the day of, of Sabbath where uh, the Jews always had theirs, but the Gentiles maybe had something different going on. And so, again, you see why all these conflicts are arising. This was an especially big deal. We often think this, you know, we don't really have this today, but it's still prevalent in our church now. Um, perhaps that is, you know, drinking alcohol or abstaining. That's been one that's really big in America for a long time. Um, perhaps it's whether PG-13 is the limit for a movie, or maybe you can go see Rated R. Or maybe it's even the friends that you choose. It's Democrat or Republican. We see that maybe it's okay to do one thing, but not okay to do the other, and vice versa. Participating in one or the other might be okay. It's hard to say. But that's where we pull from verse 8a in that first section. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. And the truth is, while we struggle with maybe which way to go with some of these, we are free to live in Christ. We are free in Christ. That is our reality. Um, and there's no one thing that's maybe unclean. Paul's going to talk about that later, that something's not unclean in and of itself. Not Maybe not wrong. Maybe we can do something with a clean conscience and a good conscience. But that's okay because we are free in Christ to live out our new lives. Um, we are free to build relationships that make disciples. We're free to set the boundaries um, in our lives given what we have from the foundation of God's law. Um, we get to see how to interact. Maybe culturally we get some rules there. But again, ultimately we are free in Christ to figure that out. It's not that we can go do everything because again, we're still under God's law. We're still under the new life that kind of dictates um, what that's like uh, from Jesus where you know, we're supposed to be different from the world. We're supposed to be transformed from who we were before. But again, we have freedom. We are free in Christ. But Paul's going to add to that. He's going to talk a little bit more. And so we're going to pick up in verse 10. Romans 14.10 says this, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, Every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in and of itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. All right. Let's say that one of my closest friends is coming over to hang out. Uh, we've been friends for years, and every Friday night, um, we get some pizza, a bag of Doritos, some Oreos, and we hang out. And so I go to the cupboard when we get there and get some delicious double stuffed Oreos. My friend sits down on the couch, and we always split one, you know, because we don't need the whole thing by ourselves, right? Uh, we always split one during a movie. But he says to me, you know, I've actually recently started like just a body cleanse. Like I've not been feeling really well, so I've just kind of cut everything out. And so I can't have any Oreos or Doritos. Like I ate a little bit before, but I, I just can't have any of that right now. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Um, you know, 
I'll just have some myself. That's totally good. Um, and so I get mine out and I start eating them. And the more and more I eat, I'm like, these are the best things ever. And I look at them and I'm like, man, are you sure you don't want one? Like, I can't eat all these by myself. And he maybe first is like, ah, no, it's fine. Like, you keep doing your thing. They look really good though. But then after I keep eating them for a while, he maybe looks at me and goes, you know, it's actually, I'm kind of feeling bummed out. I really miss those Oreos, but I, I can't right now. Like, my body has not been feeling really good. I'm just trying to reset. Can you maybe put those away? And the one thing I could do, if I were selfish, I could keep going through this whole thing to eat by myself. I'm very capable of that. But at the same time, if I really loved my friend, I would put them away back in the cupboard where they went. Because I would rather love my friends than enjoy maybe all the Oreos by myself. That would be you know, delicious, but that doesn't really last, does it? You see, there's nothing really wrong with me eating them. In fact, I could have eaten probably all of them. But again, there's something that comes up when my friend says, actually, that's hurting me. That's maybe distracting. It's frustrating. Can you put that away? That seems like a silly example, I know. But it also strikes me that sometimes we do this a lot in our own lives with not trivial things like Oreos. Um, perhaps one of the members of your community group, you've known them for a long time, and um, you've gotten to talk about your story. You've been vulnerable with each other. And so uh, you're hosting a party at your house and having people from your community groups and neighbors over. And um, you know this one friend who's coming over who shared their story with you. They had a dad that really struggled with alcohol, and it was a big deal. It caused a lot of trust issues. And so when they come over to your house, they round the corner, and there on the counter is all the craft beer from the brewery down the road. And that hurts. It seems like there's maybe a lack of care, a lack of love there. And you see, alcohol is an easy one to pick out. I know it's a very culturally aware one that we have, but it's also true in our friendships, the friends that we choose. Sometimes that's a stumbling block for people around us. Sometimes it's the politics that we put out, and sometimes that distracts people and hurts them. Um, and sometimes it's maybe just the activities we do on the weekend. Again, none of these things are wrong, and we're individuals. We're free to express ourselves. We're free to participate in these things. And we might even be able to participate in all these things without compromising our conscience and who we are and who we are in Christ. That might be all fine and good. But what Paul is saying is that that's true, but what matters most is being united with our brothers and sisters, loving one another well. And if we decide to put a stumbling block in front of people, that's not okay. That's not going to work. And so we're here to point people to Jesus, not prevent them from getting there. It's not that maybe our decisions would maybe cause someone to lose faith, probably, but we don't want to cause resentment, do we? We don't want to hinder our witness. We don't want to hinder our ability to disciple well. Those things matter, and God takes those seriously, and so we should too. Paul continues in verse 19 with this. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. 
So we are guided to unity. That's what Paul is, is continuing to lead us down this path of unity. And he's been doing that throughout Romans, if you've been paying attention, but especially so here. Unity is a really big deal. But isn't that true about Jesus? Jesus isn't about dividing. He's about bringing together. Jesus is here to distract. He's actually here to point us to the Father. And he's not here to count all our wrongdoings. He's here to make us whole. And so if that's what Jesus is about, how true is it when Paul says that we need to make sure that we're making every effort uh, to peace and mutual edification in verse 19? So for the Jews and Gentiles in Rome, if they're hearing this, if they're reading this, uh, and the food is causing them to divide, man, they've got to get that figured out. That there needs to be grace extended, that there needs to be judgment eliminated, and that they can work together through this. Neither stance is going to bring unity. If they continue in, in their judgment, if they're in their stumbling block, if they continue to do things in front of each other, that's not going to work. Paul's point for them and for us is that we pursue unity in Christ. That is our goal. When we are surrounded by disunity, um, it hurts. And we see that in our country. I know it's a very divided time, but we also maybe feel that in our families at times. We sometimes feel that uh, sometimes with friends at work. Disunity is really, really hard. It hurts and it affects a lot of other things besides just that one circle. And so what would happen then if we pursue unity and we cut out the judgment? We cut out um, the stumbling blocks that we put in front of people. Um, or perhaps we instead invest time in understanding, building relationships. If we invest in discipleship and building community, we create better ideas for how to serve. You see, unity allows for our fullness in being who we are in Christ, that we can to live out in action well when we're in unity. I know a lot of this might sound idealistic, like we're all gathering together to sing Kumbaya and that'd be great. But again, we're not really looking at that. We're not looking at this utopia. We know that this is a broken world that we live in. And so sometimes I think when we hear unity, we get this idea in our minds, probably culturally, of uniformity, that everything has to be the same and equal and everyone's doing their part. And it's centered around uniformity. But again, there's a difference between uniformity and unity. Unity is it's still embracing the beautiful differences and experiences that we're coming from, but learning to work together with those. And that's what Paul is asking. He knows his audience in Rome is diverse. It's Rome, uh, Jews and Gentiles, they're uh, socioeconomic differences, they're slaves, they're free, all kinds of things. And he's not saying that they're going to be able to all become one uniform, no, but he's asking them to become united and to set aside the things that are hindering them from coming together so they can do that. And so Paul is going to continue. Um, he's going to read uh, here in chapter 15. We're going to add this in here. 14, 15, they're really closely united. They go together really well. And so 15, 1 is going to say this. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
With Jesus, the way we interact with others is flipped on its head. Uh, the strong interact with the weak. And instead of ourselves, we build up our neighbors. And Christ leads us in this example. When in chapter 15, verse 2, it says this, For even Christ did not please himself. Christ did not come just so he could, you know, win his own earthly kingdom. He didn't come to bask in his own glory. He didn't even come to knock out every one of his enemies that stood in his way. Jesus didn't do that. He even had the ultimate freedom. He was the son of God. That's a lot of power. The ultimate freedom. He was in charge, and he could do whatever. But again, Christ did not come for himself. He brought hope instead. Therefore, we should walk in this. We share the mindset of Christ. If we claim to be of Jesus, then we share in his mindset. That means we also don't live for ourselves, but we live for others. And so that means using our freedom in Christ to serve others, to love others, to be united. And I know a lot of these things of like, you know, we need to put our judgment aside. We need to watch what we say and do. And I know a lot of that feels like walking on the eggshells sometimes. Like, oh man, I got to watch every single thing we do. But that shouldn't be our mindset. Instead, we do it out of love because our relationships with other people and with Jesus are more important. That gets us places um, and that gets people to Jesus. You see, Jesus displayed the greatest freedom ever. He could have done whatever he wanted, but he didn't. He sacrificed instead. And that should be our aim, to sacrifice. Yeah, sometimes it might not be fun to maybe give up some of the friends because they're stumbling block, or maybe it's some of the words or language that you use, uh, drinking or whatever it might be for the circle of friends that you have. Maybe it's that one person in your community group that's just really wrestling with that right now. But one of the most beautiful things you can do is sacrifice and say, you know what, right now I'm going to put that aside, those friends aside, the words I say aside, even though they're completely fine in Christ, and I can do those things. But because I love you, I think that's more important. That's the mindset of Christ, is setting aside, sacrificing, and looking at the one in front of you. Paul wraps up in a final call here in verse 7 of chapter 15. He says this, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations, and him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's been declared throughout the Old Testament, before Christ even came, that the Gentiles, all peoples, would be included. And that's what this whole thing has been about. It's been addressing the Roman church, the Jews and Gentiles, but they've been having their conflict. And Paul wants them to know, like, no, everyone has been welcomed in. Everyone has been promised to be in. So we need to figure out how to do this united thing. It's got to happen. But he gives us that hope in the last line. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. That that is how we come together, how we be united, is that we trust in God and we live in the peace and joy that he's given us. 
that's a really good glue to help us to stick together. Even when we have a lot of differences, even when we have a lot of opinions that one thing might be right and wrong, all those things, that helps us stick together. Paul makes it very clear that it's worth doing. I want to bring us back to the sandbox for a second. Um, there was one day when my sister, my friend, neighbor friends, we had all gathered around. We had popped off the lid um, and gotten all the tools out. And I was in a mood. I said, I want the sandbox to myself today. Everyone, get out. Like, this is mine. I'm going to make my sand city. It's going to be spectacular. Skyscrapers made out of sand, perfectly rectangular in every way. And I'm like, I want this to myself. And immediately I could say, you know, see my friends and my sister were a little disappointed. But I said, no, really, I want to show you how it's done. I know the right way to play with the sand. I want to show you. And I immediately saw it. They're like, no, we don't want to really hang out with them. Like, we love playing the sandbox together. Why can't we do that? They said, no, I just want to show you, like, the right way to do it. Like, build a city like me. And so I started doing my thing. They all went to the playground next uh, to the sandbox and were playing. And I was realizing this isn't, this isn't so fun. And I essentially made a barrier to entry for the sandbox, which was for everyone. There was nothing wrong about playing with the sand, making a mountain in a cave or a monster truck racetrack. Like, nothing was wrong about that. But I thought I had the only way to do it. So I called my friends over and I said, listen, I want you guys back in the sandbox. Like, I'll just stick back to my corner again. You guys can have your corners and maybe, maybe we can figure out a way to like bring all of it together and like connect it in some way. When that, that's probably more fun. And even though I was reluctant to do that, I was the bigger kid, I was older, so I could have like just kept doing my thing. I had every right and ability to do that. But I realized, you know, that would be keeping away other people from enjoying the sandbox too. So we came back together and I had my little corner and I built my little sand city that I was just so excited about. Uh, my sister again built her mountain. She put a little castle on top of it. And then uh, my friend Will, he really enjoyed building like little racetracks or sometimes he'd do like a construction site. And we'd figure out like a way to connect all of it with a story. So we would get maybe toy cars out or a toy dragon. We would play together. And it was so much more fun when we figure out a way to string all those together when the sandbox got opened up to everyone. Because there wasn't a right way to do it, but I realized that it was better when we were united. Instead of creating rules of my own, but realizing that, you know, we all have freedom to live and do what we want in the sandbox. Um, and sometimes we forget that in Christ, we have that freedom. Yes, we follow God's laws, we have that structure and order, and it's a great thing. And we also get to express who we are in Jesus, whether it be from our own story, from our backgrounds. But we want to figure out how to bring that together with other people. Maybe you have some relationships in your life that you realize have been um, a stumbling block to other people. Maybe they've been distracting or hurtful in some way. Maybe there have been friends in your community group or family that you put a stumbling block in front of them on purpose, perhaps as a power grab or perhaps just to feel something good and be, I don't know, some form of judgment. Sometimes we even, I don't know, wrestle with judgment too. We, we place judgment on people that don't deserve it. And maybe you're confident in who you are with Christ too. Maybe you're sure where you are, you're comfortable in your own skin, and you are able to do things um, that are consciously good and, um, and standing with who you are in Christ. 
but you're looking at other people and you're saying, oh no, they see something that shouldn't be there. But this one's there, but it's confusing. I don't know where you are with all that, but maybe we've been there before and we're free in Christ, but we want to figure out how to be united in Christ because that's even better. And that leads us to this ultimate point here that in Christ, there's no greater freedom than sacrificing for another. We can put aside things because Jesus did that. He didn't come for himself. He came to save us. And that is good, good news. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word in Romans. Sometimes we as people, we get so worked up over different things. We, um, we forget where we came from. We forget what Christ has done. And so I thank you that your word continues to point us back to that. That it gives us uh, structure and order and wisdom. And so I ask that you would give us wisdom in how to be united as people uh, in Christ. Uh, that's the best way to stand strong. It's the best way to disciple. It's the best way that we can understand and worship you. And so help us to uh, use our relationships wisely, use our actions wisely. The freedom that we have in Christ is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It helps to use it um, in good ways with wisdom. I thank you for your son and the sacrifice that he made on the cross that gives us this freedom um, and the desire that we get to be one and love other people too. This is your son's name, we pray. Amen.